0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic.
1: The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off.
2: Hello, I'm Ian Stone and this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic and with no disrespect meant to Art and Adrian, the A-Team are in the house this morning or in their own houses, in fact, this morning. Uh, James McNicholas is here. Hello, James, the hardest working man in show business.
1: Hello, mate. Good to be back.
2: Morning. And uh, Amy Lawrence, the first lady of Arsenal, joining us as well. Is that, is that all right, me calling you that? Because it sounds like you're sort of 90, really, at that point, to be honest. Well,
3: but... I, that, I often feel older, so <laughs> <laughs> I'll take well... 90. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, now, before we get into Arsenal's spending frenzy, as no doubt some people are calling it, in a bit more detail, it looks like Gabrielle, Jesus will be signing for the Arsenal, possibly while we're recording this. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we sort of feel it's going to happen. So we felt a little uh, religious theme was in order for the opening question. So who, James and Amy, is your Arsenal patron saint and what are they patron saint of? I'll start you off. Dennis Bergkamp, of course, is the patron saint of The First Touch. I would assume. I mean, there are possibly others, but he's the one for me. Uh, James, what have you got for us? Uh,
1: I went for Thomas Wozcicki, and there were many things he could have been patron saint of. (laughs) Goals against Spurs, lovely flowing hair. But I went for uh, him being patron saint of aesthetically pleasing sliding tackles. There was kind of something borderline, spiritual and supernatural about his ability to produce those challenges, given the type of player he was. So, yeah, Wozcicki for me.
2: I thought you were going to say uh, passes with the uh, outside of his foot as well. It's another
1: one he could have had, yeah.
2: He could have had that one as well. Uh, Amy, what you got?
3: Uh, I'm going to go with um, Ian Wright as the patron saint of celebrations because yeah. nobody quite did it like he did it.
2: <laughs> it was such joy, wasn't there? I mean, he did it in training as well, apparently. He was just as, as uh, you know, demonstrative, I suppose one can say. Fair enough. Anyway, uh, you can let us know if you want, if, if you have any patron saints. I wanted to do Keon as well, but I couldn't think of anything particularly aside from, I don't know, growling
3: at someone <laughs> or something, but anyway. Peter's story of the 71 team, his nickname was Growler. And by all accounts, he used to intimidate people on the pitch by growling at them. Actually doing the growling. Actually growling at them, and it did put people (laughs) off. It worked. So can we have a mention of Peter Story, the patron saint of growling? Yeah. (laughs) Well, we have,
2: and that's perfect. Uh, I should say, by the way, also, that the first teaser for the Amazon series All or Nothing, this is the Arsenal one, uh, dropped, as the kids say, on Tuesday afternoon. I don't know about you guys. I'm sort of indifferent. I'll take a look, but I don't really care. It sort of feels like the past. Uh, Amy, do you have any more of a view about it than that?
3: uh i think i'm most intrigued just to see if there's any insights that we can glean about the atmosphere and the um methodology of what goes on uh behind the curtain if you like because i'm you know while it while i don't quite believe it was accessible areas uh, i don't think they're you know in the in the dressing room at all times in the showers and you know so on it's um I'd be surprised if we didn't, if there weren't some bits and pieces that at least allow us to understand a bit more about what the club, the manager, the players are trying to do, how they cope with adversity, uh, how they motivate themselves, and to see if there's things that can be productive for, you know, what's coming next. Let's face it, it wasn't quite the ending. It, I think, had the ending worked out, as hoped, in terms of the Champions League, there would have been a, a sort of great redemption arc story going on, which I'm sure the Amazon production team were hoping for. So I'm quite intrigued to see how it ends, actually.
2: Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I mean, there are obviously certain things, James, with these with these documentaries, and I'm not just talking about the football ones, where you don't see everything. I remember watching the Madonna one years ago, where you you sort of felt like you got, pretty much everything except when she was talking about money, at which point she shut the door and we didn't see any of that. And and one imagines it's sort of similar with uh, All or Nothing.
1: Yeah, I don't think there'll be a camera in the room when Michel Arteta and Pierre-Erik <laughs> sit down to discuss uh, his trip to France or anything like that. But I do think it will be interesting... I mean, if you look at the way Arsenal fans online voraciously eat up content like, you know, tunnel cam or uh, bench cam, I think there is a fascination with these kind of behind the scenes machinations of a football club. And while this won't be warts and all, because Arsenal have kind of an editorial hand in it, I do think we'll learn a lot about kind of some of the personalities behind the scenes. And I think seeing things like a dressing room before they go out to a game, who speaks, who doesn't, how they react to do, to defeat, you know, how players different respond emotionally in different scenarios. I, I think that will be really interesting. So I think broadly, I, I am looking forward to it, even if, as Amy says, the ending's not quite what we might have hoped for.
2: No, don't give it away, obviously. Uh, anyway, <laughs> No spoilers. What, no spoilers. Uh, you may well hear uh, some familiar voices in episode five of the series. I don't know who that could be, but anyway, uh, we may well <laughs> be there at some are, are point. You,
3: are you sure you made the cut, Stoney? Just... Well... Um, uh, do you know I'm
2: not, to be honest with you. You know how it goes. You you think I gave a great performance there and then it ends up on the cutting room floor. Uh, James, you understand... Uh, sorry, I was going to say, James, you understand that, but that sounds like an insult. I didn't mean that.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm always James. on the cutting room floor.
2: <laughs> anyway, you might hear some or all or, or none of us uh, in episode five of the series. I'll obviously watch that one. <laughs> We are, as I said, waiting on the official confirmation of Gabriel Jesus uh, joining the Arsenal. We'll get an announcement some point soon. Medical and everything seems to be done. Um, and if it does, this is a next level signing, at least up front for us. Thomas Partey, I think, was that. But this is another uh, step forward. James, we want to spend the money. I mean, we'll talk about Rafinha in a bit and how it looks like we're not going to get uh, him. We might go to Chelsea. But... I know this is sort of a leading question, but did we get the Cronkies wrong with all this? Because it seems to me like they are showing serious ambition.
1: Listen, if you look at the expenditure over the last few years, it would certainly suggest as much. I think the questions surround how exactly that's being funded and you know something the AST are very concerned with is what is the nature of these loans KSC are providing. I think... Yes, they are spending, but you know, I think it's a necessity. They need this club to start bringing in top-level European revenue again so that it can become more self-sustaining. I suspect that will ultimately be the aim. But I do think this is a really exciting signing and it's one that, you know, it will be relatively expensive. I know the fee of 45 million pounds doesn't sound extortionate at all in the current market, but you know, he'll come on a very hefty salary, especially having come from Manchester City and coming to Arsenal to be a star, the star potentially. The main I mean, man, right? The main man, absolutely. I mean, and presumably to play in that central striking role. And I think that's going to be really fascinating. I mean, there's certainly a history of players who've come to Arsenal, maybe with their predominantly their football having been played on the flanks and question marks over whether or not they could flourish as the main man, as the goal scorer. And we've been fortunate enough to have so a couple of big successes let's hope this could be another one because when you look at his goal record for man City when he starts invariably you know he gets on the score sheet and obviously playing for man city is one thing playing for Arsenal is potentially another but I'm excited to see how he gets on and I'm pleased that he's accepted the challenge that Arsenal have laid down in front of him uh I think that's an encouraging sign and yeah he'll be desperate to make a success of it
2: He will. I mean, the goals per minute, Amy, he's actually, is up there with some of the very best. I was looking at the list and Salah's in there and Kane's in there and Ronaldo and he's not far behind. So as James said, you know, he didn't get, he didn't get, you know, two goals every three games for Man City, but he's a regular consistent scorer and, and we've liked that for a couple of seasons, haven't we? Well, certainly last season.
3: Yeah. And I think what's interesting is that at a point where it's blatantly obvious that, a solution needs to be found in that very position where finding someone to fit Arteta's kind of ideal to lead from the front is is such a crucial thing this is his number one target and to choose someone who i think i think uh, tim vickery said the other day expert on brazilian football that you know the brazil manager had asked gabriel jesus not that long ago you know where do you prefer playing And he was like yeah you know, I don't mind. And he's like, come on, you know, where would you go? And he's like, wide. Like, this is a guy who has to want to be in the middle and who has to produce. You know, to, to choose someone who's not already got that sort of experience and pedigree and desire that comes from being an established central forward is really interesting when that's exactly what Arteta needs. Now, he must be so sure in himself that this is, the, this is the guy that he can encourage to be the man and in the same way that I mean the obvious example, James kind of hinted at it before, but Thierry Henry coming under Wenger and them having some quite difficult, coffee, it, it was not an overnight thing. He had doubts at the beginning when Arson asked him to play in the middle. He felt he had to relearn things, and obviously once all the um, all the components were were back in in place, and it began to. Yeah. Were. It worked out all right. It, the, it was f- a phenomenon. And I'm intrigued on two things. One, that Arteta has gone for someone who there is an element of adjustment that's needed. And two, I'm intrigued. I'd love to know a bit more about Gabriel Jesus's personality because when someone's been in an environment where they're winning the league virtually every year and in the Champions League every year, you know, you have an image of yourself as being on a certain pedestal. Now, to you know, to step to consciously step down from that, in terms of where Arsenal are, which is not where Man City are, and it's just life. You really need to hope that they don't see it as a step down. You really need to hope that psychologically, Gabriel Jesus sees this as something he really wants to be part of, and he really wants to kind of be that central figure who's a catalyst for something magical happening down here, and. You know that's quite a big thing, and you don't. You, I remember when just just before you come in, sorry, James, when Mesut Ozil signed from Real Madrid, and he wondered whether it was what he really wanted because he was sort of forced out. And I think in that first few months of Ozil being around, I think there was a bit of him sort of getting used to things being a bit different, you know, and not not playing for a club that are right at the top and um, with players that are used to being right at the top. Yeah. So yeah, the, the psychology of it for Gabriel Jesus, I, I'm fascinated to see how he conducts himself and how he grabs this opportunity and what he shows of himself. James?
1: Yeah, I, I think everything. I agree with everything Amy said and I think the unknown in this deal is how he copes with being in a different environment and a different position on the pitch. But I think the other side of that coin is Michel Arteta and Edu are signing a player they know extremely well. You know, this is someone that Edu worked closely with and his role as technical coordinator for the Brazilian national team and someone Arteta was working with every single day on the training field. So although there are some elements of this move that feel like risks or, or gambles as occur in every transfer, in other ways it's underpinned by this very in-depth knowledge of the player and the guy. And so that reassures me I think, about this move and probably has provided them with the reassurance to go out and spend the money because, to a certain extent, they know who they're getting, if not quite what.
2: Yeah. One thing uh, it doesn't do is solve the height issue. Does that matter, James? I mean, it seems to me that Mikel Arteta is trying to do something similar to what Pep Guardiola is doing at Man City. Lots of interchangeable players uh, who can play in a number of positions. Um, we're not slinging crosses into the box. And for set pieces, we've got our defenders and Thomas Partey. Um, although he's not actually as tall as I thought he was, as it turns out. But do you not think, James, that is it a problem not having a uh, a tall centre forward? He's, oh, I don't even actually know how tall Jesus is, but he's, you know, less than six foot tall, I think.
1: Yeah, and certainly they looked at some strikers who are significantly taller than that. Dusan Vlavic in January, we talked about. There are others, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Tammy Abraham. It's certainly something that was discussed and considered. I think, ultimately, this is kind of a stylistic choice. And from what I hear, you know, (laughs) when we see games where Tierney or Cedric or whoever it might be slinging a bunch of crosses into the box, I don't think that's... um, where Mikel Atasa wants this team and this project to go and to end up. And I think this signing reflects that. What I would say is that if you do have the resource, I think it is an option to have in a squad. And maybe that's just me being old fashioned, but I do think, blunt. you know, yeah, in certain games, the ability to change the way you play uh, can be really beneficial. Kevin so Davis, I is it's who you're
3: a, must,
2: about. <laughs> is it a must. Is it a must?
3: It's man City I mean,
2: haven't Jesus.
3: man City haven't had it. Uh, um, yeah, Amy by the way, they Amy. haven't
2: had it. They've had Jesus, uh, um Raheem Sterling and Riyad Mahrez as their front players. The only height they've got is in midfield and defense, yeah, but they, so but, not but they managed
3: must. to get those players up the pitch quite a lot because they have possession of the ball nearly all the time. Um it's slightly different. you know you and also, they're the best. Hello. They've won the league most of the time and all been damn close in the last few years. If Arsenal are the best, fine. Be my guest. Have as many. Be a be land of the midgets. I couldn't care less, you know. But let's be realistic. Yes. It shouldn't be an. You know. Oh, it's just a bit naive to think that you can win every game when we're we were fifth last year, trying to improve. You've got to have a bit of horses for courses. It's a physical difficult league. If you're the best, you can be whatever size you like, but if you're not, you might have to be a bit more flexible than that. And I think that uh, there's a fantastic conviction which is admirable about the way Arsenal and Arteta are trying to um, create something here. but it's a hugely competitive league, and I think deciding that you just don't you're just not bothered about a plan B or an option. It worries me a little bit. Sorry. Uh, It's okay. I I think that's fair enough
2: to be slightly concerned. But uh, it is, as I say, a step forward. It does show the ambition of the club. Um, Since we last spoke, by the way, Fabio Vieira was announced. And the goalkeeper, Matt Turner, as well. Uh, You can read up on both of them over on your favourite football website um that's the athletic by the way unless you have another one um but i'm just saying that's the one you should be reading about them on briefly on matt turner go on sorry
3: amy you wanted to say something there going to say on matt turner i found myself really moved by his uh, sort of introduction video arsenal and, fan yeah and i think that felt very real and does, does really it make a the, difference I, really i don't know but i, I don't know but it, it it makes a difference maybe to I don't know if it makes a difference to him and his capacity to be as good a player as he can for the Arsenal, but I think it can make a difference to the kind of connection you feel and how much of yeah. will there is for someone to do well as a as a supporter. And I love the fact, I've always found that the kind of, the way that the game has become globalised and internationalised, I'm almost in awe of the fact that there are people who grow up anywhere else in the world as young footballers who feel that sense of fandom for our club just as much as the boys at End, in a way. And there's something quite poetic about the fact that you've got Sacken, Smith-Rowe and all those boys who have had, have been inculcated, I can't say that word, who have been, (laughs) what's what's the word I can say? Inculcated, indoctrinated. I I I can't say that word. Anyway, who have had that feeling of arsenalism sort of yeah it's us it's our team Uh, growing from within and their environment since they were little boys and at the same time there's a kid in New Jersey who cares about the Arsenal who dreams of playing for them ah it's beautiful great great and I'm sure he'll get games Aaron Ramsdale apparently has already
2: been in touch uh, to make sure he's settled in he wants to push uh, Aaron which is great um As I said, we're not getting uh, Rafinha, or it doesn't look like we're getting Rafinha. Chelsea have come in with the valuation, essentially, that Leeds have put on him, which we were way below. Are you a little bit disappointed? I'd seen pictures of um, Rafinha and Martinelli and Jesus together playing for Brazil, and I thought, oh, yeah, I wouldn't mind that.
1: (laughs) I am a bit disappointed because I think he's a really terrific player, and I think he'll go right to the very top of the game. Uh, and I would have liked a, a good portion of that journey to be with Arsenal. But this is what happens when you're targeting top players, that there's yes. going to be competition. And, you know, last summer Arsenal signed a number of players where they were the only really big club sort of in the hunt for them. Yeah. Um, this year we're targeting a high calibre of players and that means there's going to be a bit of a tug of war at times. And at the moment, it looks like Chelsea are better positioned to win that one. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think there was real optimism at Arsenal they could get this one done. So Chelsea have slightly blindsided them. But they were always a a team that interested Rafinha. And when you look at it on paper, I can understand why he would make that choice. They're in the Champions League. I'm sure there's a good salary package on offer, as it would have been at Arsenal. I also think one thing to consider is all those Brazilians in the same team I mean some of these guys are competing directly for places in the same international setup Rafinha and Martinelli I think arguably are pushing for the same place in the Brazil squad and you know perhaps that was a factor in Rafinha's thinking too this idea that if he goes to Chelsea he gets a bit of a a freer run at it I I think uh, it's disappointing but it happens I guess we just got to move on
2: I like that we're in for these big players, to be honest with you. I mean, I mean, Rafinha, as you say, would have been competing with Martinelli on one side or Saka on the other. It's not even guaranteed that he starts. Um, that being the case, then, we're not getting uh, Rafinha. We have put in a new bid for Lissandro Martinez, €40 million. Euros. The Ajax, uh, Ajax value the defender at €50 million. Amy, we do need another defender, don't we? I mean, we well, I really
3: won- do. I wonder if tactically there's sort of something to be absorbed by the Rafinha situation in that you know there was a price and Arsenal was short of it and the idea that they could slowly slowly you know like when you're bidding for a house without uh much opposition you know try try the seller's hand with a bit more here and a bit more there and I think a long negotiation it it, it you know they got a as James said, they were unopposed for sort of Ben White and Aaron Ramsey's dale so they could take their time in trying to see if they could get a better deal before ending up with the price that they were. But if, Rafinha, if Arsenal had desperately wanted Rafinha and the selling price was a bit more, then if they'd have gone in with a bigger price early on, it's done, right? Before Chelsea yeah. wake up. But by playing that slower game, they allowed themselves to be kind of outmaneuvered, potentially. So, the fact that Man United are also supposed to be looking at Lisandro, and for all we know, others are as well. If Arsenal think that playing that slow game might work in a competitive marketplace, the chances are it might not. So maybe they have to go away and say, Ajax want 50 million euros. If the player's interested in coming, we've got to move fast. Yeah. I just think that yeah. that higher calibre of player, like James tweeted about it, you know, very accurately early on. There's a sort of smaller pool of players now. That you're you're fishing in for that yes. higher caliber talent, and there's a lot of clubs, you know, with their fishing rods out in that in those waters. So you can't muck about, really. I think if you if you see someone that you're, you've absolutely got your eye on, if you're flexible, not with competitive
2: but, fishing, we no. see.
3: Well, that's different. <laughs> if you've got a a, a bigger list, but if you want a, then I, I think sometimes you've got to be a bit more aggressive about it.
2: Now. Well, every day's a school day, and I guess they'll learn. But uh, it's nice that we're competing for those players. I say again, uh, William Saliba, James. I sort of feel like you're emotionally invested in William Saliba succeeding at Arsenal. You, you know, if I had a question about William Saliba, aside from asking him directly, which I don't have access to, I, he doesn't, he never phones me anymore. Uh, I would speak to you, uh, and you wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago about him. Is he staying? What's the latest you hear?
1: That's certainly the plan. And from what I understand, he's uh looking forward to it and looking forward to, you know, competing for a place and being an Arsenal player and, and making a real fist of being an Arsenal player, having not really had the opportunity until this point. I'd stop short of saying that, you know, he's about to sign a new contract or anything like that. I think he'll want to see the lay of the land. In fact, I know he'll want to see the lay of the land before yeah. making that kind of commitment. But uh yeah for all intents and purposes that he is coming back and I'm really curious to see how he gets on Um, the thrust of the piece that I wrote a couple of weeks ago was that Saliba and Ben White in terms of their use of the ball their kind of tactical and and technical profile there are a lot of parallels You know, there are some strong similarities and they're both operating on that right hand side of the central defensive pairing so I'm, I'm curious to see how the football is kind of distributed between them next season
2: and if Martinez joins, Amy, we will have essentially seven defenders, or eight if you count Cedric. <laughs> so, seven. Seven, <laughs> seven defenders. We'll have Martinez, White, Gabriel Saliba, uh, Holding, Tomiyasu and Tierney. That should be enough, shouldn't it? Um, Depending, of course.
3: Who knows? I mean, look, we've obviously, you know, they know what they're doing in terms of the needed balance within the squad to tackle a season with... Um, aims to improve in the Premier League and go far in the Europa League plus domestic cups. I mean, I think there's still a bit of uh, tinkering to go along and I think it'd be interesting to see which of the younger players they keep and which they loan because that's going to be significant too. But um, I'm sorry I got a bit shouty before on the kind of tall centre-forward thing. But yeah, in, in my dreams, there'd be one of those as well and maybe another central midfield player. Abby, our
2: producer, just mentioned Tavares as well, but I'm assuming he may well be going out on loan. And I think he's better going forward anyway. Uh, but anyway, um, we'll see how things progress over the next few weeks and obviously we'll keep you uh, abreast of uh, any developments as they happen, uh, possibly while we're recording. Um, this is Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic.
0: We better bit
2: uh, with the handbrake at time. So there are renewed criticisms of Arsenal sponsorship from Visit Rwanda. There's a piece on the Athletic. It's a great piece, James, um, which I know you co-wrote, right?
1: Mm-hmm, with it gives bo-
2: Right, it gives, gives both sides of the argument. And I felt myself swinging from one side to the other, really, as I read the different pieces. Um, but I think what's interesting, the last two sentences really sum it up. There was, They were said by a woman who, it appeared, was part of the LGBT plus community, although it wasn't implicitly stated, who said, "'There's a significant amount of leverage the club holds,' she said. "'Arsenal has such a responsibility to act.'" Now, you could take that either way, couldn't you? Because if you talk to that Rwandan, was it a cab driver, I think, who's, from Co- who's in Coventry now, and and he said, what a great thing it is, just to, to, a, a different viewpoint of Rwanda. And these trade-offs happen with every sponsor, you know. And let's not forget the World Cup is happening in Qatar in November.
1: No, it's a hugely complex issue. Um, and when you speak to those Rwandan Arsenal fans about the way in which this partnership has changed perceptions of their country from a kind of failed state in the 90s you know effectively advertising what is a very high-end spectacular tourist experience and helping to build a tourist industry for a developing country you know that that is a, a, a compelling argument and a compelling case on the other side of that you only need look at the you know what amnesty has said about the regime in rwanda to understand that there is another side to this. And Arsenal's insistence is that they are effectively partnered with the Rwandan Tourist Board. It's purely to promote tourism. But of course, you know, I think it's naive to suggest that that does not have links to the regime. And the amount of money that Rwanda are putting into Arsenal through this sleeve sponsorship is, is enormous you know we're talking about potentially the latest deal being 40 million pound over four years and this is a country where with significant rates of poverty and huge socio-economic problems so yeah it's it's highly complex unfortunately it's part of being a modern football fan that we have to wrestle with these things you know Arsenal are in a position where they have to maximize every revenue resource in order to compete with some of these clubs, with the likes of Manchester City and Newcastle, previously Chelsea, perhaps Chelsea's still under new ownership. But it is odd, you know, we we think of Arsenal as not being, we're not state-owned, you know, and at, at times I think that provides us with a kind of ethical football moral high ground. But you look at our shirt and you look at our stadium and you see the name Emirates and the name Rwanda, And while we may not be state-owned, we are very much state-sponsored. And it's a very complex issue. Everyone will have their own feelings about it. But what we try to do in the piece is certainly, you know, give some airtime to every viewpoint. And I guess it's up to fans to decide sort of where on that spectrum they sit.
2: Yeah, Amy, as James said, we play in the Emirates Stadium. These things are not simple. And at the same time, we get this money, we can spend it on players and make the team better. There, there are always trade offs with something like this. There, there's no, there's no perfect sponsor, is there?
3: Oh, JVC was all right back in the day, I think, but uh, no, I think it's become, <laughs> the old days. Yeah, it's become such a moral maze, and um, I think it's difficult for clubs. It's difficult for fans. I find that I've conflicted quite a lot about how I feel. I'd, I, I, I expect there's a lot for fans to take on these days. You know, you're. Cryptocurrency and and uh, political regimes and gambling uh, and there's there's so many yeah. kind of aspects where they they're sort of linked with sources of financial revenue for for football and it's very easy to worry about what they represent uh, as well and trying to kind of reconcile that is it's it's borderline impossible because in the end. You love your club, and you're asking yourself: If you love your club and you love football, do I? How do I make a stand? If there's things that the club does that morally I, I disagree with, what do you do? Yeah, it's it's well, really I've hard. It's- I I. I it's an almost yeah,
2: impossible question
3: you're asking is, there, and, I mean. and it's become more impossible the more globalised and more financial football has become. These were not issues that we particularly had to care about in the 80s or maybe even the 90s. It's no. a relatively recent phenomenon in the history of football.
2: It's true. We weren't. We weren't deporting migrants to the JVC offices, were we? Let's be fair. <clears throat> so. but, but I
1: tell you what, what, what is interesting. I mean, obviously, Rwanda is a real hot topic at the present time. Yes, exactly. Given that, and given the conference and, and Boris Johnson being out there, and that, I think makes the whole situation for Arsenal all the more uncomfortable. That the amount of scrutiny and media attention on that particular country, but. You know it is a question of how far you want to interrogate anything I mean even what we would think of as kind of premium brands like kit manufacturers I think if you delve into some of their practices, you will find it problematic too so it's so hard to sort of kind of separate everything out and i, I I'll be honest speaking as a fan i'm I'm not keen on the visit round of sponsorship I think that it's I think it's damaging to the reputation of the club the association with with unfortunately the regime who are governing what is otherwise you know a great country full of lovely people many of whom are arsenal fans i just think it's not healthy and i think there was probably a choice that could have been made that might have involved some financial sacrifice but would have preserved the values of the club somewhat better that's my opinion
2: yeah, and like I say, when I I, I would recommend that you read uh, this article because uh, it, and I and I some at some points when I was reading the article, James, I did agree with you. Whereas other points, I thought actually this is great for the country of Rwanda and the people of Rwanda who could use a bit of an association with with a with a grand institution like Arsenal. Uh, anyway, I am um, sure that conversation will be had again. Let's have a song before
3: we finish. Amy, what have you got? Well, uh, I thought um, with Gabriel Jesus signing to go for possibly my favourite Brazilian song. I used to love this when I was a kid. Uh, It's Elsa Suarez and please forgive me any pronunciation complications here. But Deixe-se para lá. Something like that anyway.
1: Okay, uh, James, what have you got? Depeche Mode, your own personal Jesus.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. Um, as you know, I was, uh, and you might have heard from my voice, I was in a field uh, in Somerset all weekend, and one of the people I saw was Paul McCartney, who sang Maybe I'm Amazed, which I absolutely love as a song anyway. Uh, and Maybe I am amazed with the amount of ambition and spending going on. So that was my choice. <laughs> Anyway, don't shake your head at me, Amy. (laughs) That's it for the Arsenal podcast. Thanks to Abby, our producer. Thank you to James McNicholas and Amy Lawrence. And thank you for listening. I'm Ian Stone. Have a good week.